You know what is exhausting? Fear. Fear is just exhausting. I don't know if you've been through a time where something happened and all of a sudden you were just terrified and then after it was over, it was just like, oh. I don't know if you've ever been through a season where fear grew to that ongoing state of anxiety and, and you just felt tired all the time. Fear does weird things to you, doesn't it? It gets you to focus on what's right here and look at yourself. It affects you fears physically. You feel your blood pressure go up, and if you're living in anxiety, it stays up. It, it can, in long term, really undermine and jeopardize your health. Fear is powerful. It, it, it causes you to miss so much of life. It steals joy. It steals presence. And, and so uh, uh, often we get lost in this thing of fear. I just want everybody to just take a breath. No, take a breath. And maybe you just are feeling it. Maybe you're in a season of anxiety right now. You know, uh, this Christmas, we're looking at uh, the gospel story, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus is told in the gospel of Luke. And one of the things, there's so many things I love about the gospel of Luke, but one of the things I love about Luke's telling of the gospel is that it speaks a lot to this thing of fear and, and how we can journey from being in a season of fear to a season of peace and even a season of joy. And, and it's been my experience, whenever I've gone through either instances of fear or even seasons of fear that maybe have lasted weeks and even months in some of my situations where I just was living in this anxiety, it has always been a journey moving through it. And I hate going through it and I hate experiencing, but boy, I learned some of the most amazing things about that transformation. Well, in the gospel story of Luke and in the Christmas story of Luke, we're going to see a lot of people who are faced with fear. The, the word fear comes up over and over again. You don't notice it till you notice it, and then you don't miss it, and then you can't miss it. Um, but it comes up all the time. And, 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 and forever you have angels showing up and saying, don't be afraid, and here's why you shouldn't be afraid. And so we're going to discover that together. It's going to be kind of a fun journey. We're going to begin the Gospel of Luke here at Christmas, and then after the first of the year, we're going to do some other teaching and some other things. But then as we get closer to Easter, we're going to spend like, like two months months in the gospel of Luke. And there's so many great things about the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke was a, a doctor. He was a medical doctor. And so he was a person who really um, was real to life. He understand the nitty gritty and, and he speaks about real things and real struggles. Luke, by the way, was one of the only writers of the Bible who is a non-Jewish writer. That is to say, he was a writer of, of the Bible, but he was from the outside of the Jewish community. And, and so one of the big themes in the gospel of Luke is bringing everybody in. It's an incredibly inclusive gospel for Luke that Luke, a big part of the gospel for Luke is this thing that, that once you embrace Christ, there's no other. And, and so Luke is always including the Gentiles and the foreigners in his stories. He loves the, the sinful tax collectors and the prodigal sons coming home. He is more empowering to, to women than almost any other ancient writer in a most profound way. Those ones who were outside culturally, Luke's going to bring them in. Those ones who were alone and isolated and afraid, 
he's going to include, and can't wait to show you that uh, in a big part of our teaching this year through uh, Luke. And, and, and especially comes out in the Christmas story. Now, one of the things that is going to come out big in this process, this journey of moving from, from this fear to a place of peace and joy is, is this issue of, of a word that we use in church that I want us to rediscover and to redeem. The word is repentance. Now, usually when we think of repentance, we think that's kind of a churchy word. And what that means is you're supposed to look at all the bad things you did. And you're supposed to feel bad about them. And then you're supposed to say, okay, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. And, and then I'm just going to feel bad about these things I repented from. And while it's true that there's an aspect that, that repentance is turning away from sin, the kind of repentance that, that, that Luke wants to give us, particularly in the Christmas story, is a repentance towards something. It is repentance to joy. Because literally, the Greek word for repentance literally means to change your mind. To look at something different. To have a paradigm shift. That I looked at things this way. And the way I was looking at it was filling with anxiety. And fear. And loss of control. And, and it's just overwhelming. And something is going to change in me. Something is going to repent in me. That causes me to look at things differently. That all of a sudden. I, I don't deny that there's realities and struggle. But I have a different perspective about it. I see this now, and I understand this now, and things have been put in perspective that my mind has changed. And what that kind of repentance does is it opens you up to the promises and the blessings of God. Because when we're afraid, and we're focused, and we're afraid, we don't see the promises of God. And so maybe for some of us who have heard the Christmas story our entire life, maybe this Christmas what we're going to discover, what we're actually going to discover is that, is that this Christmas, the promises of God that come alive at Christmas actually do create the peace, the love, the joy that, 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 that we, we've been longing from. Now, now, again, this thing of repentance is a process. It is a journey. So one of the things that people who struggle a lot with fear will do is they will get caught in two traps. One of the traps they'll get caught in is they will, they will shame themselves for being afraid. Since the Bible says, don't be afraid, and I'm afraid, I'm a terrible person, terrible Christian, why am I like this? And so, so that's not helpful, and we're going to move away from that, and, and so we're going to free that, because, because you can't just turn fear on and off like a light switch. It is always a journey of transformation that, that happens. That's true in almost everything, especially true about fear. The other thing, the other trap you can get caught in is that you can be afraid about something and then that thing will happen or won't happen or whatever, and, and you'll go through it, and then you'll hate the feeling of fear, and so then you will become, listen now, afraid of being afraid. Have you ever been there? I just heard a nervous laughter murmur across the room. I wonder if it happened to the theater. It probably did. And, and so you then get this free-floating anxiety where it's almost like you're looking for some place to park your fear. And so this thing of fear is a big deal. And when we learn to understand it and to manage it and let God uh, use it, even there's things that fear teaches us about faith and bring us on this journey, it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful journey that we're going to find ourselves on. So this Christmas season, we're going to be talking a lot about that. I have a challenge for you this Christmas season. The challenge I have for you is this. I want to challenge you to embrace repentance not as a burden that makes you feel shame about your past, 
but a perspective shift that prepares you for the promise that is about to arrive. Because very often, fear keeps us from living in the full benefit of the promises and the blessings that God has for us. It keeps us from experiencing the joy that is there for us to have. And so if you can see repentance as a change of mind, a change of focus, a change of perspective, a lot can change. Now, we're going to discover this by walking through the Christmas story. So the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke is kind of an interesting story. It surprises you when you first read it. Two of the Gospels talk deeply about the birth of Christ. Matthew, that's the guy that he talks about wise men and that kind of thing. But Luke talks about um, different stories about the birth of Christ. Um, and, and, and the stories in the Gospel of Luke um, um, begin not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of another baby, the birth of a person by the name of John. This is going to be John the Baptist, and what John is is the opening act. So if you go to a concert and you really want to see the headliner, they usually have some lesser-known person who gets the crowd going. Well, John is the opening act. He's the person who comes, and he gets revival started so that when Jesus arrives, people know, wow, this is a big deal. He started the movement. So John's role is going to be to be the first prophet of the New Testament rather than uh, a prophet like the Old Testament. In some respects, he's the last prophet of the Old Testament and the first prophet in the New Testament. But here's the deal. That, that, that in the Old Testament, that's the first part of the Bible, okay? That, that was written, and there were lots of prophets, lots of angels, lots of things. God spoke a lot. But then the last one to arrive was this guy by the name of Malachi. And then, listen now, there was 400 years. Did you hear what I just said? 400 years. So like twice as long as our country has been here. 400 years between the time of the last prophet of the Old Testament and the arrival of John the Baptist. And so there's 400 years where there wasn't a new revelation, no angel showed up, no prophet on the scene. The, the, the people of that day spoke of the 400 years of silence. It's as if creation took this big breath and get quiet and then everybody focused, because sometimes quiet draws attention. And then God spoke. And what he spoke was Jesus, the life and the person of Jesus. Now, now again, the person who set all this up was the birth of John. Now, we learn about the birth of John uh, by talking about his parents. These two parents by the name of Elizabeth and Zachariah. And today we're going to talk about Zachariah, a guy who at the beginning of our story is troubled, it says he's afraid. It says he's unsettled. And he goes through a process of, of like over nine months that's going to bring him to a place of joy, a place where he's going to see joy. All right, so let's, let's learn about these Elizabeth and Zechariah. It says this. It says, now these two people were both righteous. That is to say, they did the right things. Right? They were righteous. They, they did it. They were righteous before God, and they were blameless in the commandments of the statutes of the Lord. So they did the Bible stuff. I mean, they were, they were just awesome people. So you would expect the next verse to say something like, and therefore God blessed them, and they never had any problems. And they had great family, and everything was great, but that's not the case at all. What it actually says was that they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in years. And so these are people who understood heartbreak. These were people who understand disappointment. These were people who understood what it meant to be afraid. Now, in addition to that, we should say that this 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it wasn't a great time. In fact, what was going on 
was tons of war. It was like almost like 400 years of nonstop war. Because here's what you need to understand about the, the nation of Israel, the land where the people of God, the land of Jesus, is it's a narrow strip of land. And on one side is the Mediterranean Sea, and on the other side is one of the worst deserts in the world. The other thing you understand is it's a strip of land that connects three continents. So if, like, you're going to be an invading army, you're going to go through Israel. It was just the way it was designed. And, and so you had one conquering empire after another. You had the Assyrians roll through, and then the Babylonians ran through, and then the Medo-Persians ran through, and Egypt conquered for a while, and then the Greeks came, and Alexander the Great came, and they had all these wars, and so they were being conquered and reconquered. It was just, who's in charge now? There was a time, a brief time of rebellion when they asserted their, their independence under a couple guys by the name of Maccabees, and, and then they were conquered again by the Romans. It was a terrible time of Greeks, Romans. And, and during the time of John the Baptist and Elizabeth, the Romans had conquered and they had set up a political puppet system and it was a horrible system. It was a system full of high taxes and deep corruption and puppet governments. And very few people had almost all the wealth and all the security. And almost everybody else lived in horrible poverty. It was a time of great injustice and the social network had collapsed. The young people had it says in the scriptures, had started turning away from their fathers and their mothers and turning away from the ways of the Lord. It was a time of great unrest and upheaval. It was a time where there was a lot to be afraid about. And again, it was the ancient world. And so there was no rights. There was no safety. There was no UN. There was, no, there was, there was just a, a difficult time to be alive. So these are people who are living in the middle of it. Well, what happened was that Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were part of the priestly group. They were part of the... A, a, a priestly tribe and every several times a year they would go up to Jerusalem and Zechariah would have priestly duties in the temple and there of course were hundreds and even thousands of priests and so they would draw lots and they would draw lots and a couple times in your lifetime you may get the honor of being part of the temple ceremony and so Zechariah's lot was drawn and he got to be one of the days where they're offering sacrifices and they, it seems to be the, the day they're offering prayer sacrifices so they were speaking to God asking God to hear them. And he was called to go into the temple, and he had some ceremonies he was supposed to do by putting some incense. And the idea that was that the incense was supposed to be the prayers going up to God. And you just had to wonder if some of these priests, and maybe even Zechariah, occasionally said to themselves, man, are we even being heard here? It's been 400 years. Well, sure enough, an angel shows up. Wow, 400 years, where the heck have you been? And so here he is, all right? And, 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 and what it says is this. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Has fear ever fell upon you? You ever felt like that? And, and sometimes it's the funniest thing. Sometimes you go through something really hard that was terrifying, and you handle it, and then you go through a little thing, and it completely undoes you. Or you went through something difficult, and something similar happens, and it triggers something in you, and then you're feeling that again, because there's a pathway in your brain that remembers that pain and, and it unsettles you. And, and so fear fell upon him. And then the angel does what the angel says. Does. Angel says this over and over and over again in the Bible and particularly in the Christmas story. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. So this is not a message of judgment. This is not me going to be crushing. There are some promises that God or that are about to arrive that, that, that are going to be the Best promises God ever gives. Zechariah for, your, for, your, uh, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. 
He goes on and he says, and you will have great joy and gladness. So that's where he's moving him. That's the promise. That's the thing that, that repentance has got to bring. A change of perspective that's supposed to bring this joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And so basically he's saying, your son's going to be the prophet. He's the, the one that's been waiting for, that's going to proclaim the ushering in of the Messiah. But fear cripples us. Look where uh, Zechariah is. He's not ready to receive this promise. Just like many of you aren't ready to receive promise, there's a journey in front of you. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So basically he said, have you seen my wife? <laughs> have you seen me? That ship has sailed, you know? Okay? All right. And here's what the angel says. Kind of amusing. The angel answered him, dude, I'm Gabriel. An angel is telling you this. And that's what fear does, right? It keeps you from seeing what's possible, even what's likely. It makes you negative. It, it causes you to be afraid of hope, okay? And so the angel answered him, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this gospel, this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak uh, until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in your time. Now, this looks like a punishment, but this isn't a punishment. This is a process, okay? Because God's saying, listen, this is where you're at. You can't see and you're afraid. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take away your ability to speak. Some people actually believe that he couldn't speak or he couldn't, couldn't hear either. There's some evidence in another part of the scripture and... and um, um, but it's debatable. But the point is, for sure he couldn't speak, and maybe he couldn't hear. And so he was brought to this place of silence. Well, that means he couldn't lead the people in prayers anymore. That means he couldn't do his priestly duties in his village. That means he couldn't take up his role in the synagogue. All he could do is sit and think. And that's one of the things that fear does. It's actually one of the gifts of fear, is it slows us down. It's hard to move fast. Okay? Fear can cause us to sit down and we should listen to our fear. This is really counterintuitive with fear because what we want to do is if something's scaring us, we want to push it away. We say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to look about it because if I look at it, it'll overwhelm me. You want to make fear grow, ignore it. Push it away. What, what, what not only the Bible teaches, but actually good psychological practice teaches is that there's a role for bringing, okay, let me confess my fear. Let me talk. Have you read the Psalms? If you read the Psalms, it's one under, oh, Lord, my spirit is overwhelmed. Oh, Lord, am I afraid? Oh, Lord, my enemies are all over me. And then you have catastrophe. And you've forsaken me. And no one's here. And it's all terrible. People pray their, their fears in the Psalms. And so you bring them close and say, what am I afraid of? And where is this coming from? And you do it in a safe way. And you don't do it all at once. You don't say, I'm just going to deny it or turn it on or off. You, you draw near. Because your fear is usually speaking something. That, that something's wrong in my perspective. I'm not looking wrong. Something's wrong about the way I'm doing something. Something's wrong about the way I'm treating something. Something's wrong about my view of God or my view of what's important. And this fear has the potential to teach me something, to create a journey in the most wonderful way. And so he puts him in this nine-month series of just kind of listening. What, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What's this all about? And so he begins this series. And so sure enough, he goes through the series. And then uh, what happens is, sure enough, he gets, uh, he and his wife get pregnant. They have a baby. And the naming day comes. 
and uh, they say, hey, what are you going to call this baby? And his wife says, we're going to call him John. And they say, you know, no one's in your family's name John. And it says they go and they, they get the attention of Zechariah, and, and they, they make signs to him to say, hey, what do you want to call this child? And John, and he says this, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. Because he believed the promise. He was now at the point able to receive. And immediately he was able to speak. He found his voice again. Because fear will steal our voice. Okay? Causes us to make bad decisions. If you're in a real deep time of anxiety, usually not a good time to make big decisions. Okay? And, and, so, and so, so Zechariah now can find his voice. And, and again, this is after like 10 months or however long of silence. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation. That is to say, the message of salvation that should be proclaimed. It takes great courage to do that. Uh, the horn of salvation for those in the house of his servant, David. That we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, like fear and death and, and, and anxiety and, and shame, were delivered from those enemies, might serve him without fear. That there's an ability for our best version of ourselves to come forward in serving him without fear. In holiness and in righteousness before him all the days of our life. You know, one of the things we learn from the story of Zechariah and his battle with fear is that the journey of overcoming fear is just that. It's a journey. It's a process. For him, it was over nine months of silence and reflecting, and it was at first acknowledging the fear. You know, one of the biggest ways to make fear grow is deny it and try to push it away. That just makes it grow. But to come up and say, yeah, I'm carrying fear. I'm carrying anxiety. It's a very real thing. And I need to go through a process of quieting myself before God. Uh, this year, uh, for uh, the Christmas season, we have our Advent devotions. These are in the ordinary places you'd pick up our devotions. And I just wonder what it would do to just challenge you, just from today through Christmas, where every day, we're, we're a week behind because last week we didn't have church because of the storm, but every day from now until Christmas, to just do the devotion, just read what's on the page and just follow the instructions and pray and read the scripture and remind yourself that we had a God who loved us so much that he stepped into the chaos of this life that fills us with fear. And, and I'm going to take time every day to quiet myself before God and to be silent before God that he, that's not part of your practice. Make it part of your practice. The cool thing about the devotion is there's stuff you can do in your groups. It's actually stuff you can do as families as well. This is a tool that I really want to encourage you to use. do want to encourage you to pick up uh, the, the week of prayer. Um, Praying for others is a powerful way to help gain perspective. When you realize what other people are facing, it comes back and say, wow, uh, their courage inspires my courage. And you know what? I want to start, start praying for someone other than myself. And maybe even for you to begin to realize your role right here in the Chippewa Valley in helping people who are far away from God take steps to know Jesus and to become like Jesus. If you're interested in the rest of our share partners, We've got a, a fresh list of the folks that we're supporting this year through um, Jacob's Well. And so those are steps that you can take. You can pray for the nations. You can, you can, um, you can find yourself um, just renewed in taking time to be silent with God and begin the journey of moving from fear 
that repentance of changing our minds to then become open to receive the promises and the blessings of God that God wants to remind us with and deepen this Christmas season in ways that are bigger than we've ever imagined. Let's pray together. Father, I want to take a minute to just pray um, for um, our brothers and sisters all over the world. Brothers and sisters um, who are serving you in difficult places, places that they face realities that we can't even begin to understand, places where most people don't know you. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters serving uh, in places where what it means to follow Jesus literally risks a life. Father God, I would pray you give them courage, you give them faith, you build them up. Father, I pray that you would, Father, just fill their life with the hope of the gospel, the message of the gospel. Let them know of our love. Let them know, Father, just in their spirit that there are hundreds of people praying for them. And Father, I would just pray a deep blessing on, um, on just people all over the world who are serving you, your church, extending it in places um, that right now are very dark. Bring your light and your promise to those places in Jesus' name. Amen.